I I feel bad for him right now. He's the guy that I feel the most bad for because I thought that especially in the first period where he had nothing to do, like every single shot that he faced was really high quality and he was mm -hmm. on it. But yeah, cuz they didn't get their first shot until I think 11 minutes left in that first period. And yep. I'm not I'm not an NHL goaltender obviously, but the goalies always talk about how it's hard to get in a rhythm when there's you're not facing any shots. Like you want some low quality shots early on in the game so you can get in a rhythm, get in a groove. And then when Shogun's just out there sitting there for half a period and then all of a sudden there's two amazing scoring chances by the Canadians. I'm not surprised that he let in uh the uh the first one. The one that uh, Nylander screwed up on. Yeah, poor Nylander. Your well, your guy, Willie Nylander. People were ragging on him for the empty net goal, too. And I was like, <laughs> come <laughs> on. <laughs> the empty no, I have no sympathy for Nylander right now. Like, it, there's a there was a view on that first goal for the Canadians of, of uh, up the ice. And you see Kerfoot take his stick out and point to Nylander that you've got to get the man who's trailing because you're alone on that side of the ice. That's your guy. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't back check. And it's disgusting. And he Whoa. deserved to get put down in the lineup by Keith there in the, for the rest of the game. It, I mean, ironic that he was the one who scored to tie it, right? Yeah. On the I guess it's play. on the power play. It's a totally different situation. But mm -hmm. it's weird that, you know... Nylander is such an interesting player because you look back to last year's playoffs and I feel like he was Toronto's best player. Just incredible. The entire series. And to start this year again, while like Matthew started the season recovering from wrist surgery, Marner started off kind of like in his own head from last year's playoffs. It was Nylander who kind of carried them through the beginning of the season. And then as Marner and Matthews ascended and they've been like two of the best forwards in the league, the whole since like November on Nylander's just kind of stagnated for whatever reason. It like, do you guys know what's wrong with him? I, I don't know. A lot of people are blaming that entire line, the Kerfoot Tavares Nylander line. Like they, they haven't been really cooking. They've been putting up the points, but as a unit, they, they don't seem to have it together. So I'm happy that Keith is finally trying to change something. But like you said, Matthews and Marner have been since they threw up the stats since January 15th. They've been the best two teammates in the entire NHL. And then when you have that on the line ahead of you, like it really puts a spotlight on how much Nylander is struggling. And from an outside perspective, when you're watching the game, because you're not hyper -fo focused on these things as like us Leaf fans are. Do you do you see Nylander and a little bit of Tavares where he was a little out of position on that same goal where he took, uh, I forget who's, who he took the body up, but he made a hit when the puck was going to his right side. Are you, do you notice these things that the defensive lapses that that line is making as somebody who's not hyper-focused on the Leafs? I mean, I'm not as hyper-focused on, I feel like, yeah, I'm not seeing it as much. I feel like with Tavares, I see just less engagement overall. Mm -hmm. I, I I think he's been injured for a bit here this season. Like I know he's recovered a bit now, but there was a stretch when he had that, like was it a 10 game goalless drought or something like that? Or yeah. 11 game. That's when people drought. were really getting on him. Yeah. yeah. And you look at his not even underlying numbers, but his shot rate and his shot rate plummeted during that. There was a point where he wasn't even getting a shot a game and that's John Tavares. And I was like, mm -hmm. that that's not just confidence or, a bad luck streak. Something's wrong there. And maybe it's that him and Nylander don't really mesh that well together or that when one of them is struggling, their specific uh, skill sets don't like facilitate them digging themselves out of the 
a rut, if you know what I mean. Right. Maybe right. they just need a Michael Bunting who, you know, forms out the rest of that line and they don't really have it right now. Yeah. But, and I don't think Kerfoot's that guy. Like I, I for the play, like the last, I think it's like 20 games. The Leafs got less, less than 20 games. I think it's like 18 or whatever they got left in the season. This is where you figure out your playoff lineups. Like this is where Keefs need to explore the, the line combinations and see what's going to work and then definitively decide, okay, game one, this is what we're going with. And I don't think Kerfoot works on that line. I think it'll be Kasha. I think it'll be maybe Mikheyev. Mikheyev looked great tonight. Mikheyev's looked great the last couple of weeks. But like you said, I don't think Kerfoot's that guy that's really going to get Tavares and Nylander going. And they need a bunting type, like you said, like on that line that that Matthews and Marner have. And I think that might be Kasha. I think that might be Mikheyev. So I want to see him try uh, at least Mikheyev for now because Kasha's out with the injury. So I want to see him just try different things and formulate those Stanley Cup winning habits. You know, it's just right now is the trial for the playoffs. And as a trial for the playoffs, I mean, I got to I got to dig in on Steve a little bit more here. Because, <laughs> okay, you know, I, I listened to the podcast uh-huh. and I don't, it was a few episodes ago, so it might've been last week or the week before, but uh, it was just like a passing note that Steve was talking about how, like, if the Leafs had John Tavares, there's a hundred percent chance that they win that series against the Montreal Canadiens. And yet without Jeff Petrie, without Arturi Lekkinen, without Brendan Gallagher, Without, hey, Phil Deneau's gone too. Without Shea Weber, without Carey Price, Tavares is in the lineup. Mm-hmm. They're losing the season series. <laughs> like, there's something in there with Toronto, and the, like, they can't close it out. Like, it, it's bad. I don't know what to, to do at this point because I feel like maybe this season is the best case scenario because they're going into the playoffs and they're most likely going to face Tampa or Florida. Mm-hmm. And those are well, two they teams face that Boston are, right now. Oh, are they against Boston right now? Because they're in the yeah. wild card spot, right? Two, three. Uh, Boston leapfrogged Tampa uh, last uh, time I checked on Friday. So I don't know if, where the games sit today, but right now it was uh, Toronto, Boston, and the two, three. So they would play. So oh, there's a chance it's either Toronto uh, versus Florida, Tampa, or Boston. I think Toronto just got knocked down to the first wild card spot, which would actually have them <sighs> against Carolina. Oh, which... so even Carolina, there's another option. That would actually be a blessing in disguise, I think. If they could get out of the Atlantic Division, not that Carolina's an easy situation, but at mm-hmm. least you're against Freddie Anderson, who has a history in the playoffs. That's the, You're very aware. Maybe this year, where the Leafs aren't favored to win, they can kind of get out of their heads a little bit and just play relaxed, and it could almost look like that first year they made the playoffs against Washington, that for right. maybe slay a, slay a dragon. I know everyone has been talking about slaying a dragon for years now about beating Boston finally, but I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are their own dragon, as I saw someone put on Twitter the other day. Yeah, I think you're on to something with like the underdog mentality for this team because they've never had that. And games like this one tonight versus Montreal, you pencil that in, hopefully, on your schedule as a hopeful win. There's one of the bottom teams in the league. You're you're rolling right now with your full lineup, and you think, oh, we're going to go in there, we're going to beat Montreal, and then you lose the game. So maybe that's what they need. They need a change of mentality when they actually head to the playoffs because they're going to make the playoffs, obviously. And they need to come in as like not the favorite. Maybe that's a way to exercise the demons. I don't know, because they, they mentally they don't have it mentally like you need to get this win. I know you put up 51 shots against Jake Allen. And when you look at all the score effects I saw on Puckpedia, they had a 90 
6% chance to win the game, you know, but you still got to win the game, even though everything's in your favor to win it, you still didn't win it. And they need to figure out how to just overcome that hump and maybe having just an underdog mentality going up against like Carolina or Florida in the first round is the way to exercise all of the demons. Yeah, it 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 makes sense in my head. Maybe it, mm-hmm. it doesn't work out that way. Just because, <laughs> well, knows, so right? they'll, they'll blow it in dramatic fashion and it'll be incredible. Yeah, you know, although I will fun. say, watching the Panthers earlier this week, man, that team is scary. Like, yeah. the way that they're just able to score out of nowhere and the chances that they generate are absolutely incredible. I really and, didn't think they were going to add Giroux, and then know, they right? did. And I was like, okay, just get even better. Just cheating. I yeah. do think, I like, I know he got a penalty uh, uh, that I think that was the one that Caulfield scored on, but I like Colin Blackwell tonight, and... Mm-hmm. I think Giordano is a solid fit as well. It really smooths out the loss of Muzzin, right? So, like, now if yeah. Muzzin comes back and regains his form a little bit, it's more of a bonus, more than they really need that or they're boned. Right, right. It's, it's, a, it's a great problem that the Leafs now have on defense because they have too many defensemen if everyone comes back healthy. And like Justin Hall, he's, he's been so up and down. He, he, who did he dance around in the first period? Uh, Was it off? <laughs> He danced around Ramon. I'm like, who is that Justin Hall? You know, he's, I've never seen him made a play like that. And then so seeing uh, what the defense can do here. And then Giordano seems to be in the right place at the right time at all times. Like his 38-year-old brain knows where the puck is going before it goes there. And he's always in the right spot. So, yeah, for the rest of the season, especially if Muzzin uh, is back healthy for the playoffs, the Leafs have a great problem on defense. It's just a matter of, Hey, when you put up 51 shots, can you please just score more than the other team? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm asking. There was a comment here that's saying irrelevant now, but uh, this is the worst shot differential at home in Montreal franchise history. Outshot by 33 shots on goal, franchise worst. And they I won. Mean, <laughs> just win, baby. Right? Right. That's, <laughs> that's all the I'm way asking. It works. It's, it's, it's so leafy in that. They lost this game and Jake Allen stood on his head. He he had some like really, really high caliber saves there that that essentially changed the fortunes of the entire game. Yeah, especially in that first period, right? Mm-hmm. Where like that it could have been five nothing after that first period. Easily. And Jake Allen just held on. Uh there's okay. a comment here from a Canadians fan saying, uh, can't wait to draft a middle line winger with our ninth overall pick while watching other teams in the playoffs. Here's the thing though. They're winning and they're still in 31st. Like, are they really? Yeah. And Arizona has a game in hand on them and two points and more wins and more regulation wins. Like, the Canadians will most likely still finish 32nd or 31st. And Mm -hmm. to put something together where they're actually building towards the future while still finishing that low, pretty darn positive overall. So, I I think that uh, Canadians fans overall are pretty happy right now. Yeah, especially like the last couple of weeks. How can you not be so excited about what Caulfield is doing? Like I, I saw on the broadcast, I wrote it down here is a 52 goal pace since St. Louis has been behind the bench. Like that's incredible. That's that's top caliber. That's all star. That's everything you could have ever asked, asked for out of Colt Caulfield. And you're doing all this while also possibly getting Shane Wright. So like Montreal Canadiens fans, I'm sure they're on top of the moon right now. But and like the losses the losses don't matter. I assume like when you, when you look at the loss, you're like, okay, we lost, but like every time we lose, there's some good momentum. 
I didn't like what I saw from the defense, especially in the uh, in that first period. Like you said, when the Leafs were just just controlling the entire play. But like, what can you do about that when you're when we've lost uh, all of the guys they lost, and now Petrie's out for the rest of the year, and you just traded um, Sherratt? You know, like you you can only ask so much from the from the guys they have, and what you're getting is what you're getting, and it's not bad. Yeah, and I mean the defense is in, in such flux, right? Because mm-hmm. they traded Sherratt, they traded Kulak, they traded or they didn't trade Petrie, they tried to trade Petrie. And now he's but out. Didn't get the deal. Now he's out indefinitely, which who knows what that means the rest of the season. No idea. And also like losing Shea Weber over the offseason, like Joel Edmondson, I think, played his seventh game of the year this year. Like tonight. Oh, wow. Like because he missed the first fifty something games of the year with a back injury and then dealing with his dad dying. So right now they've had they have like one of their top five defensemen from last year. <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy that yeah. they're winning at all. It's just like when St. Louis first took over, uh, Christian Dvorak was out. Uh, Jake Evans was moved up to third line center from fourth. And Laurent Dauphin, who played excellent tonight, was moved up from the AHL to the second line center. And like they're still winning games. Like there's, there's a lot to build around with that. If you're still getting results and you know, mm-hmm. the guys who you expect to deliver are delivering. And, you know, I saw there was a, comment today uh, on Twitter just in a reply to me talking about like what the team is different or how the team is different under St. Louis that even in games they're losing there's always pushback right like right. the worst game that they played probably under St. Louis is that 8-4 loss to the Jets where they allowed four goals in the first like couple of minutes and it was like all bad breakdowns like hugely bad defensive breakdowns but then they scored four goals and tied it up. Like eventually the game got away from them because they were undisciplined in the third period. But the fact that they went from four nothing to a tie is still something for a team that's this bad. <laughs> it's, it's, there's always something. It's kind of the opposite of the Leafs, where <laughs> even when you win, they do something that makes you doubt them. Yeah. The Leafs, the Habs right now are losing in a good way constantly when they're losing it's it's really weird that these two fan bases i feel like the leaves have all the chances in the world to actually win a stanley cup this year they have a really legitimately excellent team the underlying numbers fantastic great deadline for additions and you look at who's happy between the two fan bases and it's definitely canadians fans i don't know as a Leafs fan how you can be confident in this team when you know you're going to face a high caliber team in the first round and you're going to get screwed because of your division and just you watch these games and they're you're like they can't take care of business at teams they clearly have more talent than and they outplay them in every single way and they still can't take care of business and you're talking about the defense i wasn't really too impressed with uh legacy in his first game oh, in Canadian's uniform. Yeah. But uh, I assume he'll figure that out. Like, what do you expect from him coming over from Edmonton? And yeah, just what he gave tonight. Yeah, I talked to a few folks in Edmonton because I haven't watched a lot of them and they were like, expect him to get like overwhelmed, right? And that's mm. exactly what we saw at the out of the gates in the first period. He was really struggling with the Leafs forecheck and making hope plays. I thought the first goal he actually like he got picked by I think Bunting near the net and Bunting got a little chance from the side of the net but then he picked up the puck and I thought actually made a good play to try to skate it up but then didn't play the puck quickly enough and then Marner got in his way and then Bunting was already back on him and it was just yeah. like you, 
you're not going to win against the, those two guys when you're wild yeah. Bill Legison, as they called him in Edmonton. <laughs> that uh, that first goal by Matthews, like a couple minutes in, that was all Marner. Like I give all the credit to Marner for uh, making that play on Legison and getting that puck over to him. But yeah, that wasn't like if if that's what to expect from him. I don't know if he's on in the lineup regularly coming like next year, like, are they bringing him back? Like, Oh no, no. I think uh, he has to play 18 games to be a restricted free agent. Okay. And I don't think he'll play 18 games down the stretch for the Canadians. I think when they acquired him, they only had 19 games left. And I think this, yeah, I think he can only play 17. This is game seven 65. Right. I so think. this move was kind of just to have fresh bodies for yeah. the rest of the season, uh, a body in there in case of injuries. And then also like not having to commit to anyone. So the, the second round pick is the real return for, for Brett Kulak, which is a, a solid return for him. Uh, other you well, let's, let's focus on the defense. Cause you mentioned the defense. Uh, I kind of ragged on Romanoff during the game because twice tonight, he went for a big hit along the boards on hole and on Mikheyev and just totally whiffed and it was like a partial break going right past him right yeah but someone pointed out to me that he's playing on the right side and i was like oh yeah he is playing on the right side he's not a he's not a right side defenseman because losing jeff petrie Mm -hmm. they have i think only one right-handed defenseman left in the lineup in the chris weidman chris weidman left-handed i think he's right-handed so it's like they're kind of really forced to rejig things around and Romanov is forced to play on his offside. I know he's playing a lot of minutes as well. St. Louis has really relied on him pretty heavily, but at the same time, I'm like, if you're playing on your offside and you're not super comfortable, maybe don't make that play twice in one game against a high octane offensive team. So I thought you were going to give him the benefit of the doubt for making those plays. I a, thought you were going to say, bit. okay, he's playing on his offside. We'll forgive him for those mistakes. Walk, but you're like, criticizing him for half. taking chances. I, yeah? like, I, my, my criticism is like half of what it was before I realized that he was playing on the right side. But I, I feel like right. you got to think in your head, should I play it a little bit more cautious here instead of throwing caution? To At the same time, like in the situation the Canadians are in, I kind of do like that you're throwing caution to the wind and that they're not getting benched for it because who knows if he catches a guy can light up the crowd and <laughs> it's it's fun to watch. You need some entertainment value, but just for his development, I think one thing Romanov needs to learn is time and place. Yeah, and I think for the fan base to continue to be happy, like what you want to see out of the guys is smart plays. You want to see them going out and trying and making the right decisions in each play. And I, it's a, it's definitely a learning curve for a Romanoff. Like he's, he's still young. He's still got to learn these little things. But if, if I'm St. Louis, I show him that film in the film room and I say, this is what not to do, you know, like, cause this, these last couple of games, you need to, you need to get those habits where you're an NHL caliber defenseman. We can throw you out every night. And this is not how you want to be playing, especially if we're putting you on the other side and we're expecting you to just kind of, hold hold for you know stay steady in a defensive role like that's not i wouldn't be happy with a play like that it's not to dire where you need to bench him because you're not heading to the playoffs but like that's a talking to yeah I think. that's that's I think definitely you gotta that. pull him aside and like talk in his ear at the very least be like yeah. please don't do that again especially because it was twice like yeah. the one on hall if i remember correctly was pretty egregious like the miss so was um, the mckay one actually i think the mckay one was worse he went for like a think- hip check and completely okay. missed 
Yeah, like that's a that's a talking to for a young guy. Don't yeah. be doing that. Hundred percent. And someone points out he had a career high twenty seven sixteen time on ice tonight. Yeah, I mean that's what nope. happens when your third pair is like you just can't trust them. I will say I was pretty impressed with David Savard tonight, a guy who yeah. has been you know the focus of much ire in Montreal this year for good and ungood reasons, but. He's now scored two goals in three games since he came back from injury. Offensive defenseman David Savard, just like Manningham <laughs> Jr. The craziest thing about tonight might have been that him and Ilya Labushkin had fantastic scoring chances in this game. Like two yeah. or three each. No, you know what I want on a four on two for the Leafs is Ilya Labushkin taking the wrist shot. Like I, you I got thought that I don't care how many guys are sitting in the middle of the slot, like pass that puck, Ilya. Like you can't be the one taking that shot. It was well, it, crazy decision making on that play. Who was the trailer too? Because he was completely. It was uncovered. three guys. It was everybody on the penalty kill. Because it was, uh, I believe, it was on the penalty kill. So it would have been uh, a Mikheyev out there, and then his defense partner would have been, um, I guess, Hall. It would have been Hall Labushkin on the penalty kill. What, whatever you're doing, you get that puck over to Mikheyev. Like I don't yeah. care. Like pass that puck. Um, and with the defense, I saw today Montreal signed Jordan Harris from uh, Northeastern, I believe. Are they is he somebody who's going to join the team before the end of the year? Yeah, from what I understand, uh, they're going to burn the first year of that two year contract. That's like part of the the thing that you do with college free agents, I guess. And mm-hmm. they're going to play him out the rest of the season. I don't know how many games he'll play, but my assumption is over 10 like over the the nine that it takes to uh, burn the contract year just mm-hmm. because I guess that's what they wanted to owe him or whatever. But it's that whole situation is interesting because there's been kind of like a back and forth on Hab's Twitter the last couple of days about how like, oh, Kent Hughes is getting too much credit for signing Jordan Harris, which is it's, it was going to happen anyway. But there was an article written at the beginning of the year where Mark Bergevin did an interview with Mark Antoine Godin of The Athletic. And he basically said, oh, yeah, uh, Jordan Harris wants to go to Boston or New York. He's a free agency or he's a free agent after the season. Nothing we can do. And uh, we haven't really spoken to him in over a year. And what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. This is a guy That's who's crazy. up for contract saying stuff like that. And then Kent Hughes, pretty much as soon as he was hired, goes down and watches the bean pot and talks with Harris. And he comes back and he's like, yeah, he's going to sign. Here. Oh, because I saw the report that he want he was when he got drafted in 2018, he's like, I'm going to go do my four years. Like, I want to go to school. I want to graduate. I'm going to do that. But for Bergevin to just like point blank, be like, oh, he's he's not signing here. Like, that's just a window into, the, I assume, the type of management that the Canadians have had over the last eight years. If that's the way he's treating these players, because Jordan Harris, I saw Scott Wheeler had him number four in the uh, prospects rankings of the entire organization. He's a great player, and he looks like he can help right away on defense where the Canadians need it. And for Bergevin to be so flippant about that, like, thank God you guys got Kent Hughes in there, like, to do this great work for the team. Yeah, that it's kind of weird the way that the Canadians have operated because both in a development point of view and in terms of a signing people point of view, the way that Bergevin and his management group operated have been like, if you're a good enough player, you'll figure it out and make the NHL. It's your job to force us to give you a roster spot. And 
with that attitude, you'll still get guys like Nick Suzuki and Brendan Gallagher who were always going to make it. But some guys will fall through the cracks. And the same with like signing It's like, oh, if you want to sign here, then you'll sign here. But we're not going to try to convince you. It's like, but it's kind of your job to convince people. <laughs> like, that's a right. large part of your job is to convince people. Right. So it's like, I understand from a, like, a, the point of view of a manager is you definitely want people who want to be there, right? They want to bleed for the crest on the front of the jersey. Your Brandon Gallagher's, your Arturi Lekkonen's who they just traded. But you also have to find people who might not have been convinced, but then you sell them on it. Like, that's just, that's how you win, right? Like, yeah, and not just no. in unrestricted free agency, but guys that you draft who might not be sold on where they're going to play and I also feel like for Harris, seeing how this season has gone and how many defensemen have moved out, like the path has cleared for him drastically to go straight to the NHL, which must be attractive. Yeah. And right there is like an obvious selling point. If you're the GM of the team, if you're the president, you're like, hey, Harris, here's your clear what you can play in the NHL today. Like if you're on the team, if you're on the roster, we have room for you because Legison's not going to be here for long. So like you can come in and. The fact that you don't think Bergevin was a salesman at all, like that's such an error on how you should be running an organization. Like you got to bring in guys. And like, I'm never going to forget their Stanley Cup run because they went through the Leafs. But like when a GM comes off a Stanley Cup final berth and then three months later, he's no longer the GM of the team. Like there's there's something there. And I don't want to rehash the whole Ber Bergevin thing, but it's such a window into who he is if you if like he's not that salesman if he if he's just like all right we're the canadians people should want to play here that's a ridiculous way to think that's a very ridiculous way to manage a team it is 100 percent. i just want to shout out to the mods here quickly because the comments are very aggressive which i understand because it's a rivalry <laughs> but guys let's not just throw pure bait out there <laughs> like people were like oh god i saw a comment that was like the leaves have no talent like let's Let's calm it down really? a little bit, guys. Let's, really? Let's calm it no down talent. a little bit. Let's calm it down a little bit. So we got multiple mods in here trying to keep it under control. So please, people, I know it's exciting that the Habs and the Leafs played and the Habs won, but everyone got to calm it down a little bit. Be friendly. Everyone's friends here. We're Canadian. Remember that. Right. right. Uh, Sarah Y, loyal viewer, says, I hope teammates are buying Alan a steak dinner this weekend. I mean, yes. He deserves many steak dinners. And yeah. I saw a comment here earlier. Somebody relaying uh, John Liu from TSN saying that Carey Price is going on the Canadians upcoming road trip, which means it, if he's over his cold that he was sidelined with, he might actually play soon. Wow. That is a positive story. Is that that's something he's wanted to do this entire season? Like his his narrative has been like, I want to get into games if I can get into games. Like I'm shocked that that's his mentality because so many times we see like if somebody's out with a long term injury, take it like be back next year unless the team's in the playoffs. Then you wait till day, game one of the playoffs and then you LTIR it. But like Carey Price, I didn't expect him to come back. And like, but even though he said he's wanted to come back, I thought that would always be like the media narrative. And then we reached the end of the season and then he never played a game. So like, it's cool that he's back in his word and he's actually going to play a game. That's unbelievable. What a story. Yeah, I think this kind of solidifies where the whole situation with Price is going because there have been a lot of people who are speculating, like, oh, does he actually want to play again? Because, you know, he's had this time now. 
to be with his family and you can tell just from the way he talks about it like he's really enjoyed having all this time to spend with his young kids and his wife it after going to the Stanley Cup final and losing and how much the team has been bad and how it looks like it's going into a rebuild like it would be understandable with the injuries that he's had if he was like you know what I'm just gonna retire but right. he also has that like competitive spirit that we've seen through the playoffs at the Olympics. Like when times are important, he is incredible almost always. So the fact that he actually still wants to play in an essentially lost season, price is still price, right? So yeah. if the Canadians are actually dedicated to turning this thing around as quickly as Hughes and Gorton have kind of hinted, maybe he might be around long enough see the results i a hundred percent but like the question for me is how are you gonna bench jake allen for carrie price like jake allen won the night uh won the night tonight he probably won the net forever for the canadians and like that's my starting goalie for the montreal canadians going forward you know people said that going into the playoffs last year too (laughs) i would assume that price is gonna play like the odd game just because he hasn't played for so long right he'll play like Mm -hmm. a back-to-back to start and They'll, they'll probably keep going with Allen as the starter, but they won't rely on him to do every game. Mm-hmm. I feel like unless you're like who in the league today, maybe Connor Hellebuck is a guy who can play every game. You know what I mean? Like Vasilevsky probably. Yeah, Vasilevsky. Yeah. There's like very few guys that do that anymore. Right. Yeah. And now it's all tandems. Yeah. Yep. It's all down to tandems. I mean, we mm-hmm. talked about, uh, Campbell coming into this year and his career high being like what was it, like 30 something games played in a season. Yeah, it was last year during a shortened compressed season, but you kind of saw him run out of gas this year. Yeah, there's a reason the Dubas went out and got Morazic and signed him to a two year deal. So it'll be Campbell and Morazic and they're fighting for the net. And we know how it's gone with Morazic. And now we got Shalgren. So hopefully it's Campbell and, and Shalgren uh, battling for the net. But yeah, the tandem thing is, is the future of the NHL. Goalies don't play uh, 70 games anymore. It hasn't been that way for a while. And like Kel- Hellebuck for sure is the outlier. Vasilevsky is the outlier. But next year, if it's Price and then this Jake Allen, and the whole new core that Montreal is trying to put together, if they buy in the offseason, if they get a big name free agent, who knows what they do? They, I, sneaky good team, Montreal Canadiens next year. I don't know. I'm putting them on my list. They might be. I mean, I think they would need another center, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like the hardest thing to find unless they draft Shane Wright and he's NHL ready. But I feel like they don't want to bring him into the NHL right away. I, I just right. looking at what Hughes has done through the trades, I feel like there's a bit of a vision that you can see outlined that almost all of the trades are a high pick and then a prospect who's like 20, 21 years old. So to me, that says he's looking at boosting the amount of guys who can break into the NHL like two to three years from now. And then the picks come two to three years after that, where you have like more high end picks in the next couple of drafts here. So it's like, the start of it will be two ish, two to three years from now. And I mean, hopefully just as somebody who has to watch all the Montreal Canadiens games, <laughs> I would love for them to be bad next year too. just like bad, but entertaining uh-huh. but draft Connor Bedard. So this team has a legitimate superstar to watch night in and night out. Not that Caulfield mm-hmm. is not entertaining to watch or Nick Suzuki, but Connor Bedard is just like the next level above. 
he's the mm-hmm. the Austin Matthews that they need, and that would take them to real contender status. I think. Uh, you mentioned the Canadians needing a center, and like Dvorak obviously wasn't it when they acquired him, but there's somebody who's a UFA this year that <laughs> might have a pajama photo in a Canadian's uh, uh, bed sheets, and he might sign in Montreal this offseason. His name is Mr. Bob Ross Nazem Kadri. Oh, that's what Steve Dangle has been peddling. That's what I 100% agree I think is going to happen. Nazem Kadri of the Canadians is a real possibility. They have the cap space. They have the need for a center. And what a way to uh, speed up the rebuild if you get Kadri. Yeah, I saw Steve talk that up. I saw it initially on TikTok, actually, when you guys clipped it. And I was like, (laughs) what a way to get your hockey news. (laughs) I know. I know. I was like, there's no way that's going to happen. And now I'm looking at it and I'm like, I could almost see it. It makes too much sense. It does. I've been peddling the Patrice Bergeron idea because Kent Hughes was his agent. Yeah. You know, he's a hometown boy. And people say he was a Nordiques fan, but the Nordiques moved when he was like six or eight or something like that. There's no way. Yeah, almost every single Nordiques fan is now a Canadiens fan. That's just the way it is. There's very few hardliners who didn't move over. And, you know, I know he said he was a Bruins fan after the Bruins drafted him. (laughs) Everybody kind of does that. So, yeah, I I think it doesn't make sense for Bergeron because he's at the end of his career and he probably wants to chase another cup. But it could be a familiar situation. He could mentor Nick Suzuki. Although Kadri, if he's not looking, I know Kadri is probably looking for a lot of money. I think that's the main thing that might deter. Canadians have it though. Like if they they haven't made that big splash in a number of years, like if they want to spend the money, they can on a center here to really speed up the rebuild. And like the Bergeron thing, I don't think it was the most ridiculous idea. I think it's just ridiculous for this off season. I think in two years, like when he's really up there in age, then it's Bergeron, Bergeron to the Canadians as Spezza came to the Leafs. Ooh, like I could see him in a fourth line role when he's past his prime, when he's really past his prime. And Patrice is there with Kadri, with Nick Suzuki, with Caulfield, with Romanov. Like that's the future of the team right there. Yeah, I think the main thing they would have to avoid is giving like the Tavares contract to Kadri because I feel like right. at his age it's it's just it's such an outlier season this year mm-hmm. and his last contract was such a steal mm-hmm. that he's probably looking to get big time paid and I don't blame him one bit but you still got to negotiate the price contract right yeah. <laughs> under the cap and Jake Allen's really cheap but it's still around 12 and a half million for two goalies it's hard, you know, like you got to fit yeah, these in. Yeah. The but, nice thing is their defense is going to have like zero cap hits. Yeah, especially if uh, like a couple like I don't, they, they won't have a draft pick play. But like if Harris makes the lineup next year, that's like entry level. They'll really save some money on the defense. But like if you want a guy who knows a big market, Nazem Kadri played in Toronto all those years. He went to Colorado and now he comes back to Montreal. He's going to be up for the challenge. He's going to want to play there. I think it's an outside shot. If they want to give him all the money, he'll definitely sign there. That's what, that's what I'm predicting. I know his dad would love it because I know his dad's a huge Habs fan. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Chat, Kadri can't get a postseason suspension here because we won't be making the playoffs for a season or two. That's true. <laughs> that's fair. You know, Mike Hoffman. Uh, I was just looking at the lineup tonight. I, I want to mention Mike Hoffman. He looked great tonight. Yeah, I mean, he's since St. Louis took over. 
his effort level is so much better, like especially mm-hmm. defensively. He's still not great, but he's trying. And I feel like if Mike Hoffman could just shoot and try to take away pucks, like clip off passes in the neutral zone, he'd be a great player. If he didn't have to do anything else, like he was on a line <laughs> where everything else is taken care of for him, he'd be yeah. fantastic. But unfortunately, he also has to pass the puck and forecheck and back check and skate and do yeah, everything else around. on the ice. Yeah. 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 And that kind of no, limits him. There was a lot of just like tertiary forwards who had really great nights like Byron and Evans and Hoffman. It was a lot of positive stuff out of the Canadians tonight. And and I don't I don't know if it, it's supposed to make me upset as a Leafs fan, but like I'm happy for the team and the fans that you, you get a lot of positive stuff in a losing season. Yeah, I think. That's the thing about the Canadians right now is they're they're that kid who like tried really hard and you must their hair and you're like, good job, kid. <laughs> yeah. And then they beat you. <laughs> and then they beat you. And then Jake Allen stands on his head. I don't know. Oh, yeah. He was like absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. that was a performance for the. That was uh, it was incredible. And, you know, I mentioned him earlier on, but uh, our very own Larry Dolphins, as they call him. Laurent Dauphin. They call him Larry Dolphins here. <laughs> Larry Dolphins. That's good. And he, the Habs even got in on it and they have like a dolphin gif when he does anything. But yeah, Do he was really? great tonight. <laughs> that's uh that's a good nickname. I like yep. that. It's really good. Uh I was kind of surprised to see he only played eight minutes, mm-hmm. eight and a half minutes at even strength, because he seemed like he didn't leave the ice in the second period. There was weird moments for the Habs when the Leafs were dominating play where they would have guys just out there for like two and a half minutes. They kept showing the, uh, the shift uh, clock yep. there in the corner on the broadcast and guys were just hanging out there. And there was that moment early on in the first period where they had the three icings, you know, then like icing is, it's not, it's, I don't want to call it a laziness play, but like when you're icing the puck as a professional, you're, you're not on top of your game in that moment. You know, you never want to be setting the puck down the ice like that. And three in a row was very apparent for the Canadians. And then the long shifts, like they didn't play a complete game. And like we keep going back to, they somehow pulled it out when they really got going in the middle of the second there. So, yeah, I, I hope they get all those little things together because the, the team is going to be really good and they have a bright future. Absolutely. Uh, someone uh, says here that uh, Leafs fans on Twitter want Nylander scratched next game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if you want to do more Leafs talk, I'm, I'm down for it because, yeah, that was it was a brutal game by him. Like, it's unacceptable. I don't care that you score one back on the power play. Like, we should. It's the best power play percentage in franchise history for the Toronto Maple Leafs in, this year in 2022. It's the greatest one in their 105 year history. So, like, of course, they're going to score in the power play. I want you to get back on defense, William Nylander. That's what we need from you. Like, ah. So he's not getting the crown tonight, Jesse. No, he is not getting the crown. The unsponsored crown, by the way. But, (laughs) hey, if you want to throw some money at SDPN, (laughs) they can bring back the crown. Yeah. Well, game over will sponsor the crown. There we go. Game over sponsors the crown for the Leafs. (laughs) Game over Montreal sponsoring the Leafs crown. As the Steve Dangle looks so beside himself after the Leafs lost. I mean, Steve hates every loss, right? But yeah. I think these ones where it's so winnable mm-hmm. hurt him the most. What do you think the best first round matchup is for the Leafs? Is it Carolina? Is it Florida? Is it Tampa? Is it Boston? I think it's Carolina because of the Freddie thing. 
mm-hmm. but also because it gets them out of the Atlantic Division. Because it's one thing to beat one of Tampa Bay, Boston, or Florida, but to beat two of them, mm-hmm. that just sucks. Like, you're who's going to beat two of those teams and then win the third round, too? Right. I, I just feel like it's such a murderer's row. And no disrespect to Carolina, who I think is great. But after you beat Carolina, I think Pittsburgh is really good, but has weaknesses that can be exploited. They have not had a lot of success in the postseason the last few years. Uh, the Rangers are just a goalie, which is scary. <laughs> They're a goalie and then 12 guys. Yeah. Well, they've, they've got some great scoring on there. Like the, They're that annoying combination of ridiculously high-end scoring and a really great goaltender, but they're yeah. shit. Like everything else is shit. So yeah. like, you and know that so you're gonna outplay them of, and still like, lose. Their rebuild, it's crazy. Yeah, it almost makes no sense. Cause like yeah. a lot of what's driving their success isn't what they did to rebuild. It's I mean Shesterkin, yes. Mm-hmm. Although he was like a late round pick years ago. But Artemi Panarin just being like, I want to sign there. Adam Fox mm-hmm. being like, I don't want to sign there. Chris Kreider, obviously. Yeah, Kreider. Yeah, longtime Ranger having a crazy outlier season, like as big as Kadri's is. That's huge. But, you know, I think Lafreniere's come on a little bit more lately, but I haven't even heard Capo Caco's name this year. No, no. Like non factor. Yeah, I, I know he's gotten a little bit better defensively, but yeah, he has five goals in 37 games. He hasn't played since January 21st. So that's why I haven't heard there his name. Go wild injuries yeah but like yeah i think that if if i don't know if the losing is good like should as a least fan i should be rooting for the losing and slipping into that wild card and getting carolina in that first round matchup because carolina really is a great matchup for the least especially where they how they played them uh two weeks ago when they had that game and they and they snuck out that victory like freddie if freddie's someone who can get rattled in the playoffs like we've seen it um, the Leafs play good teams like Carolina really well. It's it's a great matchup, and like I don't want to get too happy about their playoff odds if they slip down at the wild card. But like I'm not going to be too upset. I'm not going to be too upset about these losses because it means a better first round matchup for the Leafs. It does I will say we talked about it a little bit before with Jake Allen in hindsight, but let's let's pretend Jesse that you don't have the last few games of Jake Allen. You've only got to go on like the last couple seasons where he was like decent in a one B role. You know, mm-hmm. I would say maybe a little bit better than decent because the Canadians have been pretty terrible defensively over that time, but that that's all you got to go on. Okay. He's, he's injured, but he's coming back right after the deadline. If the Canadians offer Jake Allen for a first round pick and they take back Peter Mrazek with no salary oh. retained, do you do that? Now, I would have done the if the Flurry deal was the same thing. If you just replaced that question with Mark Andre Flurry, I would have done that. But Jake Allen for me doesn't have enough of a pedigree to warrant a first round pick. If it's something lesser, like if they if the Montreal Canadiens wanted the Leafs twenty uh, twenty three second round pick, I believe they have that. I do that deal. I do Allen Campbell uh, for the playoffs. Like that's a that's a good little run for these last eighteen games. But the first round pick, the price is a little too high. Does that change if you realize that Allen is also signed for next year for just uh, two point eight seven five million, which is less than Morazic? Two point because Morazic is uh, 
2.9 is it i, I thought I he believe. was over three uh Mrazek is 3.8 oh so you're saving a million on the cap and Mrazek's for two more years after this year he's three-year Ooh. deal yeah oh yeah you know what First round pick to get out of the Morazic deal to have Jake Allen for the rest of the year. You've you convinced me with that contract information and the like, next yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Do that deal, Dubis. Like I I'm I'm I love the Vegas mentality that they've had since they've come in uh, to the league as a franchise where it's every year we want to go for it to win the cup. And I think more GMs should take that uh, attitude towards things and Specifically looking at Ken the numbers, Holland. <laughs> specifically Ken Holland, who should get off his butt and do some deals for McDavid and Dreisaitl, like get a goalie um, one of these years. It'd be nice. But uh, the Leafs, the, the situation was dire enough that the fan base would have been over the moon for Allen. Allen, Campbell, and then whatever you got out of Shalgren the this week and next week, that would have been a real jolt to this team. And I think, yeah, if that's on the table, you got to do that. Yeah, you got to do that for the first round pick. Who cares and about the first round pick? That is, you're trying to win one round. the The bar is literally on the ground for this franchise. You need to win one round, and if Jake Allen helps you win one round, that's what you need to do. Hundred percent. And you know what sold me on Jake Allen, uh, being like a really big possible ad for a lot of teams going into the deadline and why I'm shocked Edmonton didn't do it is I heard a story that Jake Allen, when he was the backup in St. Louis, after he'd lost the job halfway through the year to Jordan Bennington, the year Mm -hmm. they won the cup instead of, you know, sulking as the presumptive number one on that team, he spent the year or the playoffs, sorry, specifically the playoffs specifically, he watched tape and studied the opposing goaltenders and oh, wow. played their style in practice so that their team could shoot on that kind of style of goaltender to prep, which I, I'm guessing he did the same thing last year with Price mm-hmm. uh, putting on a show on the route to the Stanley Cup final, that kind of stuff. And, you know, being known as a good locker room guy, like I think Jake Allen I'm I'm honestly I'm shocked beyond reason that the Oilers specifically did not break down the door to get right. Jake Allen. I think they saw how well Koskinen and Smith have been recently, and I think they were like, okay, we got enough here. You know, we can we can try and do this with what we have, so we don't need to go out and sell anything. But like, and Stuart Skinner as well. Stuart Skinner has been playing decent. Like they have three goalies, but the way you outline it like that and just the magic beans that forming an NHL locker room is like NHL GMs love the character stories. The one, like you just said, they love mm-hmm. having the the character guys in the room. And if Jake Allen is that guy, he's going to the, those lengths to help a team get to the cup. And like, he's been to two cups. He knows what it takes, bringing him into a team like Edmonton, a team like Toronto, that can really be a stabilizing factor. And that's more than worth a first round pick. Like, and especially if the Mrazic deal went the other way, like do the deal. It's shocking. I mean, at least Toronto added, right. Mm -hmm. And I am consistently just blown away by the way that the Oilers have handled this whole situation. Like, I, I can't imagine having McDavid and Dreisaitl and going out there publicly and being like, well, you can't go in all 
all in every year. They got Brett Kulak. Yeah, that's true. They got Brett Kulak, who's a good huge ad. (laughs) I think I think he really helps them, honestly. And so far, apparently the results have been great. He's been Mm -hmm. like solidifying things for Tyson Berry, who, as you know, from experience, Jesse needs a lot of solidifying. (laughs) Right, right. Um, They well, I'm just happy they're off of uh, CC and Barry. Like, how dare they try that experiment? But like, I think if we were to ask Ken Holland about their additions, he would be like, well, I got Hyman. Like Hyman is the stabilizing factor on the first line. Like I brought him in. I got Duncan Keith. He's a winner. He he knows how to win Stanley Cups. And I brought him into the locker room. And I think he would think of those things as huge, huge additions for McDavid and Dreisaitl. But like from a numbers perspective, from anybody who's a fan of the team, you're like, that's not what's going to get them over the hump. And clearly with their start of the season when they're on fire, um, it was all all great there. But then when they fell off and they were just uh, a big ball of a mess from November through January, like that was, I think, more true than the uh, than the early season Oilers. And that's when we saw that they just don't have enough right now. And then they're like, OK, we're going to fire the coach and that'll be that'll be what's going to get us over. And we're bringing in Evander Kane and and Brett Kulak. And now we've got it. But. You need you need more pieces. Go do the big thing. Go get the big addition. Like all these different guys, Kane, Hyman, Heath. They think those are the big additions that'll do it, but it's clearly not working. And I, I don't think they can get past a team like Calgary. Calgary really has a from top to bottom a solid lineup. And in goal, they have who I think right now is the best goaltender in the league, besides Shosturkin, like uh, Markstrom's number two. And I don't see the Edmonton having any chance getting by a team like that in the playoffs. And that's what it's all about, building a team that's going to win in the playoffs. And if they don't have a shot doing that, then what have you done here, really, Ken Holland? Especially when you inherit two of the best offensive players in the world. And by the way, right now, the Oilers are getting leafed. Uh, they're out shooting Calgary 12 to 6 and down 3 to 1. Yeah, there you go. Who's that in great that? Goaltending. 50% save percentage tonight after you talked up how good their goaltending has been lately. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, poor Edmonton. But I mean, <laughs> they've been managed into the ground. And that's Omiko yeah. Koskin, and it's not even Mike Smith. Mike Smith, the only guy in the league older than J- than uh, Bunting. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good fact. I'm going to start using that. As an official uh, hockey stat, Mike Smith is the only player older (laughs) than Michael Bunting. (laughs) That's good. Yep, rookie of the year. I will (laughs) say we've been talking about it a lot on the show, and since he scored again tonight, because it was it was kind of funny. I thought it was Gary Galley at first because I'm used to the second broadcast on Hockey Night in Canada now, but it was Craig Simpson and Caulfield missed high, I think, twice. High and wide, two in a row. And Simpson was going off on me like, oh, he's got to learn to shoot for a rebound. And I was like, man, if Caulfield is shooting for rebounds, that's an issue. He should be trying to pick corners. And lo and behold, the next shift on the power play, he like somehow gets a breakaway on the power play, which Mm -hmm. how does that even happen? Shoots high again. But then the next shot, he's like, okay, I got scores a goal. And as you mentioned earlier on 52 goal per 82 game pace under St. Louis. Did Dom Ducharme rob him of a Calder trophy? Oh, my God. Yeah. With that rough start to the year. Because what was he goalless in like 10 games or pointless? Uh, he had one or goal in 30 games. 
One goal in 30 games. Yeah, that's if Caulfield had just been playing like how he's playing now, he's easily running away with the, the call. It'd be a tight race, to be honest, between him and uh, Mo Sider, because Mo Sider's got so much love right now as a defenseman doing what he's doing uh, at the at the level he is as a rookie. But, but no love like, from Adam. No love from Adam, obviously. <laughs> Adam's uh, leading the bandwagon of bunting for Calder, but it would be a two-horse race between Cider and Caulfield if Caulfield just had a semi-decent start to the year for those first 30 games. Right now, like, there's no chance. Like, if you yeah. try and put Caulfield into this conversation, you're you're going too far. Like, I, I you're being way too uh, kind to him. But... Like if he if he could have done anything at the beginning of the year, yeah, he easily could have had a Calder Trophy. And it's disappointing that he struggled that much in the start of the season because what he's doing right now, seeing that shot, like the dude already has it. Like at his age, if he just learns to not shoot high and wide, like then <laughs> learns to shoot goal- for rebounds, you know, right? <laughs> like a good NHL veteran. <laughs> no, just keep sniping those corners, Caulfield. Like get a little. Get a little, bring it a little down, and then you'll have 50 goals like in next two to three years. Like if I could bet on that next three years, Caulfield scores 50 goals. I put money on that. Oh man, 50. 50 is such a huge number. Nah, but he's such a good shot he can do. And he's a winger. Like it's easier to score from the wing. Uh True. when you especially if the if, if Suzuki if it's Suzuki and Caulfield for the next three years or whatever, like he'll he'll put up 50. I think like with a shot like that, with a great center, if Nick Suzuki matures in the player that everybody thinks he can, he can be like Caulfield's going to get 50 in his career. Yeah. Uh, since St. Louis took over, he's now at 24 points in 20 games. Leads all rookies. Uh, Bunting is second with 21 and 21. Then and I love Michael Bunting. Honestly, I think he's, <laughs> he's an animal. Yeah. absolute animal he's all over the ice at all times draws penalties like a crazy person too like he's second in the league in drawn penalties on like, a team we're that just doesn't about, draw a lot right we were talking about nasim kadri like mr bob ross forget that like it's bunting bob ross like it's unbelievable the way he's able to draw penalties and how he's been able to be a pest and get people to like who took the penalty on him uh this game I edmondson yeah he was edmondson you could tell that was going to happen from like the first period he was Getting under his skin, right? Like that's that's so perfect. And he fits so perfectly next to Matthews and Marner because that's what they need out there. They need the guy who's going to attract the uh, the attention from the guys because he's poking them all. He's poking Edmondson, and then re- the retaliation gets the penalty drawn. It was a beautiful sight. And he's an unbelievable player that nobody had heard of up until this year, except for Dubis because the Sioux, <laughs> right? Dubis. Yeah, do you remember when he was signed? People were all over him because he was a former <laughs> Sioux. Yeah, no, half, half the Leafs in like a year are going to be from the Sioux. I to trade everyone for Sioux Greyhounds. I mean, it, it seems to work out. You got to give it to him. <laughs> it seems to work out. I'm surprised that nobody's talking about Trevor Zegris anymore because yeah. it's not like he's fallen off that much. He has 15 points in 17 games last mm. uh, stretch here. And like for the Calder, we don't hold it against the teams that are bad. You know, like for the Hart Trophy, if your team's just just dog shit, like your your call your Hart Trophy odds will go down. Yeah. But like the Calder, if you're on a bad team, it's kind of expected because the rookies don't obviously start off on a good team. And like Mo Sider, Detroit's not doing well, and like that's not held against them at all. So I feel like Zegra should get a little bit more love. And I think like in the uh, 
in the odds right now, it goes Cider, then Raymond, then Zegris, then Bunting. Like, I think that's the top four on the odds. And Zegris should probably be moved up a little because he hasn't fallen off at all. Yeah, he's he's been great and such a big part of why Anaheim has been surprising this year. Now, mm-hmm. Caulfield, what surprised me the most about him since the coaching change is not even necessarily the scoring because we all saw that in the playoffs last year. It's the playmaking. Like mm-hmm. he's just been so dynamic and he's him and Suzuki. I think what bodes really well for the Canadians going forward as a franchise is that not only do those two have serious chemistry, but they've also shown that they don't shy away in big moments. And right. the fact that they've both been killers in the playoffs already deep into the playoffs that is super interesting going forward as like how they build their team. Yeah. Like having that experience in your, your first, before your even first year in the league for Caulfield, like that's a, that's something like you can't even quantify, like being able to do that in the playoffs. And then like Josh Anderson is kind of a perfect compliment for them. Like if, if they run with Suzuki Caulfield Anderson, like next year, if that's, the, if that's the top line, like I really like it and they can do some damage because Josh Anderson, he's, he's the guy who, who's running around being the pest on that line, you know, and he's, he's such a big body. Like he plays the power forward type really well. And I'm a big fan of, of those three guys working together. Yeah, me too. I mean, honestly, there's something about Josh Anderson. The last game was worse uh, when he has bad games. It's really, mm-hmm. really noticeable. And when he has good games, it's really, really noticeable. So he's like a very divisive player. And then right. you have people who, you know, they see how attractive he is. And they're like, and he can do no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you look into his eyes. And exactly. You're like, you get Josh. lost. <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like if he could add just five percent better spatial awareness and playmaking to his game uh-huh. he becomes a really essential forward for the montreal canadians but even when he was out with an injury and they put yoel armia on that line they were still killing it i think they just need like a big body to create a bit of space for them They're like it's good we're fine <laughs> yeah that's the third piece of the line that's just a big guy who can get in there and josh anderson he's that guy but like you said his head's not always in it you know but uh i think i think when when they're ready especially in the playoffs last year like the leafs saw it up close and personal what josh anderson can do like he dominated parts of that series when the canadians were mounting their comeback and like if, if they all get it together and they are all running at the same time, like it's a it's a really good line. I was just pulling up Josh Anderson's stats here. I didn't know he had a 27 goal season with Columbus back in 1819. Yeah, like that's I mean, that's wow. why the Canadians acquired him. Right. Is they thought that they were mm-hmm. they were going to get that kind of guy. And he hasn't really been able to get back there. I think he's gotten close a few times, but. He's really inconsistent. That's the thing. And I think they're just hoping that he is one of those late blooming guys. You see all the tools there, but they haven't quite put it together until they finally do. I know last year in the playoffs, would you be surprised to know that he didn't score until I think he scored maybe once in the Leaf series and then he didn't score again until like the Stanley Cup final? Oh, wow. I know he had at least one big goal in the Leaf series, but I didn't know. Like he didn't go, he went scoreless in the next uh, two rounds. No, I'm shocked. Yeah, it was, it was really weird. He just kind of like disappeared for most of the playoffs. Right. Not like completely, but 
Yeah, he's okay. No, I'm wrong. He scored two against Vegas. So he scored two in the game that the Canadians won in the Stanley Cup final. I think it was the only okay. two goals. And then two against Vegas and one against the Leafs. So he went one goal and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, oh. 10, 11, 12 games with no points. He had a 12 game pointless streak in the playoffs. Yep. Then two against Vegas. Wow. And then no goals, one assist. But how many goalless games? One, two, three, four, five, six goalless games again. And then scored two. And then the Canadians were eliminated. See, that's that's game. my Leafs fog brain. Because like you, if you tell me, oh, how does how does uh, Josh Anderson's playoffs last year? I'd be like, he was a beast. Like he he came in the, the Leafs series and he dominated and he had a huge goal and he was a beast. But like hearing that he had a twelve game pointless streak, that's very surprising. Yeah, it was it was a weird one. I mean, even last year in the playoffs, like Tyler Toffoli didn't score a lot either, mm-hmm. despite being he was on pace for like 45 or something in the regular season. But he was injured. The right. Canadians were like the team of hand injuries last year. <sighs> Gallagher was injured. He couldn't even handle the puck. His hand was like exploded. Weber's hand was exploded. I, I believe Toffoli either was a hand or wrist injury. Like it was it was a weird Stanley Cup final run because most of the time oh, yeah. when you get that Cinderella team that goes to the end, it's like they get everything go their way health wise. Canadians didn't have a lot of guys missing games, but all the guys who were playing were just like held together with like a little bit of bubble gum and obstacle sticks. Yeah, because it was it's like the complete opposite of the way the Vegas run went their first year where you had anybody and everyone scoring goals for them and being uh, big game players and the Montreal, it seems like. Nobody did anything, and somehow they won four or three rounds and made it to the Stanley Cup final. And like Andrew, I gotta ask again, how the hell did they make it to the Stanley Cup final? Because we well, just look back and we say, just they shouldn't have done this. It's weird that the only <laughs> series that they won that they shouldn't have won was probably against the Leafs, right? Because they did get massively outplayed, and mm-hmm. you know we can argue about whether or not they were like super good defensively on like, yeah, they were outshot, but the chances the Leafs got weren't that great. Sure. Whatever, maybe, but also price stood in his head in the final three games of that series. Right. And mm-hmm. especially that overtime in game six, like, yeah. I think the game game five was great for the Canadians. They got, I think that was the one where Galchenyuk did the turnover, right? Yeah. 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 That was a Galchenyuk turnover. But game. game six was the one where I think they actually believed that they could do it because of that overtime and they're like, okay, he's just going to stop everything then. And we're going to be all right. And then against the the series was lost in game six. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, you could tell from the first couple of shifts in game seven or not. It was awful. Yeah. They were not there. And then Winnipeg. Yeah. They kind of dominated. Yeah. uh, I believe in terms of scoring chance differential, that's like the most dominated a team has been in the analytics era. That's how Mm. bad the jets were. Wow, which is funny because they swept Edmonton. Yeah, no, so. yeah, Winnipeg's such a weird team because yeah, they weren't great in the playoffs in that series at all. But yeah, they looked really, they looked decent versus Edmonton, but Edmonton just didn't play well. Yeah, you know, and they it was couldn't draw a call against them either, right? Like there was that yeah. whole controversy with McDavid having a guy on his back, like a backpack, the entire series, and then Mike Smith. Or actually, I think wasn't Mike Smith actually decent in that series? remember yeah that. yeah no they they got a couple saves from him yeah but, but like it, it, i look i look back on that playoffs and i'm like the right team won 
like Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup. Yes. Definitely. And like, that's how I choose to remember it. <laughs> Not by <laughs> the worst part of other ridiculous things that happened. Yeah. And the other thing was with Vegas, I think Vegas just played a system that perfectly played into what the Canadians were doing yeah. is if you remember in that last couple games of the Toronto series is the Canadians were just like, let's protect the middle of the ice at all costs and we'll give them everything else. And mm-hmm. to know just be on Matthews at all times. And we'll hope that because Matthews isn't available, that Marner will make a bad play. And that's basically what happens. Yeah. They let Marner but- hold on to the puck. And he was like, I can't find Matthews. I'll try to force it. And it was like turnover after turnover. And against Vegas, they were a team that loved to shoot from the outside. Almost all of their scoring came from their defensemen and like far out from the boards in that series. So the Canadians were overmatched in terms of like skill for sure, but Deneau did a job on Mark Stone, same as he did against Matthews in the first round, and without Stone to like skill them through it, they couldn't get into the middle of the ice at all. And the only guys that did were I think Pacioretty and Nick Waugh. And right. other than that, and they're missing Chandler Stevenson, who was their number one center at the time. Yes, yes, yeah, and, and like Mark Shifley also thing... took himself out in the Jets series with <laughs> and his stupidity. Was out, yeah. And then the perfect thing the Canadians did was they they limited the the scoring the high danger scoring chances. Like all they did was let the teams pepper these shots on Price, and Price was always going to stop all the shots from the fringes of the zone. And they did a fantastic job pushing everything out, and that that's how they got through those four rounds, especially against the Leafs. Where the yeah, Leafs, and- everyone's like, Leafs got forty shots, but like thirty eight of them were just low danger chances. And then against the Tampa Bay Lightning, that did not work. Yeah. <laughs> <At all. laughs> and then Tampa was like, oh, we're actually too good for this. Yeah. It was like <laughs> the, the Leafs, everything revolved around like Marner passing to Matthews, right? It was very yeah. binary. Yeah. And then the Lightning, when they came on, because the Canadians, the biggest thing that I think propelled them through those playoffs was the penalty kill. And they were decent on the penalty kill in limiting chances, but also Price had something like a 97.8% save percentage. Heading it's into crazy. the Stanley Cup final. And then the Tampa Bay penalty kill or power play last year in the playoffs was operating at like 40 something percent going into the Stanley Cup final. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're just going to rip you to shreds now and it's going to be ugly. <laughs> and it was. Yeah. Now, like, and uh, going back to the Leafs there, what I like from them this year and what I've loved from the top line is Marner is now a scoring threat. Yeah. Like Marner actually has a shot and he's willing to use it and take those shots. And he's going to put up 30 goals this season. He's already up, up at 27 and just adding that little tiny element where there's two guys on the, on the line now that can shoot the score. And it's not just Matthews. It's not just Hyman and, and Marner feeding Matthews the puck. Now it's buntings out there running around. And now Matthew Marner's out there actually taking these shots. And the uh, the slap shot he scored in the next gen game on Wednesday was beautiful. He had a couple of really good chances tonight. And I just love that there's now two threats. And it's less likely they'll get stopped in the playoffs if there's two guys out there that can actually score. Yeah. And I mean, if if Marner can get over whatever goes on in his head when the playoffs start, yeah. it's a different situation. And as much as people were all over Matthews last year, I really don't think after watching what happened to other high-end scorers from what Phil Deneau was doing last year, that it was about him. Like I, I just think Phil Deneau was a monster. Mm-hmm. He was 
I, I've never seen a guy who scored one goal in the playoffs have a legitimate chance to like win a con smite if they actually yeah. won. It was incredible. He's such he was such an impact player that I'm shocked they let him go. I get why you don't want to pay the price, but you know, he's such a he was such an important piece of this team that when he wasn't on the roster to start the year, I wasn't surprised they started off slow and that they were missing uh that great center that they had. Like Janos, he's such a special talent. And I haven't watched a lot of LA Kings games this year, but they're also gonna be in the playoffs. They've been sneaky good. They've they're in the the second place in the division. I believe they might have fallen back to third uh right now, but He's going to be a threat there in the playoffs, and he might do some damage with that Kings team who is playing above their talent level. Yeah, and I think if the Canadians can learn anything about the mishandling of Phil Deneau, because the big thing last year and the hesitancy to sign him was, well, like, oh, well, we don't know if he can score because he only had five goals in the regular season last year. He shot six and a half percent. And then in the playoffs, one goal. <laughs> right. What did he shoot? 2.6% in the playoffs. But it wasn't about the goals. I mean, and he scored a goal, I believe, in the Stanley Cup final. But the other thing is, this year, on a team where he's not the number one guy, career high 21 goals. Hey, there you go. I was just bringing up those numbers. That's uh, a 21-18, 39 points for Deneau. That's, That's unexpected. And like, if you're Montreal... You're probably regretting what you what you did this offseason. Yeah. And I, the lesson that they can learn there is with Brennan Gallagher this year. Mm. Brennan Gallagher, I think I mentioned this on the show a couple of weeks ago because he's injured now. So nobody's really talking about it. But he's a guy that people aren't sure if they should keep around for the rebuild because, you know, he plays a hard game. He's been injured a lot lately. And this year he has zero five on five goals. Is that true? Zero five on five goals for Brendan Gallagher. <laughs> All his goals are either on an empty net or a power play goal. Wow. He might, he might have one four on four. I don't know, but I think he only has five goals this year in like 40-ish games played. He's missed a lot of time. But over the last three years before this one, if you look at pro-rated like per 60-minute goals at five on five, it goes Austin Matthews, Brendan Gallagher. Wow. So what's the outlier there? I would bet on the one year where he's been injured the whole time and mm-hmm. he's had enough hand injuries where you kind of wonder if his shot is not going to be what it used to be, but he doesn't have to score the second most goals in the league to be worth $6 million. You know? mm-hmm. it, he's still a very good, yeah, somebody brings up about five disallowed goals too. Yeah, this is true, but that's always going to happen <laughs> for Brendan Gallagher because he's earned that <laughs> reputation. But I think the right. Canadians should definitely look at that and say, and I, I believe this administration already has and said, like, we're not going to going to move him. Yeah. Is there a conversation about trying to move that contract? Because he signed through till forever. Right. Are they try? Are they looking at it? Because he's such a staple on this team and he's such a great talent. I I think you keep him around just for the, his talent's sake. You know, I think they talked about it before they traded both to Foley and Lekkonen. Right. And I think you kind of need one at least of those three players to stay for a rebuild just because those are the guys that just every game this year gave it their all. And there were a mm-hmm. lot of guys who did not. So I, I think they got to keep one of them. And Gallagher is that guy. I don't think he's going to be captain, which is what a lot of people speculate. But I think he's a guy that sticks around just because he will put his face in front of a puck to block a shot. He will. <laughs> Put his face in front of a puck to score one, too. And you need a couple of guys like that at some point 
and it's hard to find them really do you remember uh when we were in montreal for adam's bachelor party and we were at that like swanky nightclub or whatever and gallagher was there i think i left before gallagher showed up when i was there i only saw jacob de la rose which is okay throwback jacob de la rose that is a throwback yeah i know when i went out for that my oldest was a couple months old that was in november right right yeah Yeah. it would have been it would have been november like late november something was really cold yeah. Uh, that day, and we all wore Leafs jerseys to a non-Leafs Montreal Canadiens game. I forget yep. who they were playing that night, but yeah, whenever I think of Brendan Gallagher, I always remember that one weird run-in where he was behind a velvet rope at a Montreal nightclub at, for Adam's bachelor party. <laughs> yeah, I've run into Brendan story. Gallagher a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it's one of those situations where I'm like, NHL height listings are not correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh really well it, my biggest one was jg pajot who i think the okay. nhl lists at like 510 and i ran into him in vegas in 2014 and i was taller than him and i'm 57 jesse no way <laughs> that's funny so are you taller or uh than gallagher as well uh, i think by a little bit Oh wow, and he's listed at a uh, five nine. Is he so, listed yeah, at five nine? Wow, I thought it was like five. They're eight. cheating that a little. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody <laughs> st- gets measured with their skates on, except for Zdeno Chero, who might be taller than that. Oh god! But just going back to Gallagher, like that's a guy who loves the Montreal community, who's out and about in the city all the time, who's a fan favorite, who plays really hard. I don't if you're Hughes, like you you have him stick around till the end of that deal, till he is old and gray, and you have him. I I Canadians fans would know better about the captaincy, but he's gotta be on this roster for from now until 2027. You know, like he's a staple on that team in my eyes. Yeah, it would be it'd be hard to move into next season, I think, with without Brandon Gallagher. I think that Nick Suzuki will be the captain. If they really the next year. Yeah, I think it, they love Nick Suzuki and I think for good reason. But and plus that contract that they gave him, right? They're yeah. betting on the long term future there, which I think since the coaching change again has been he's shown why they bet on him. Mm-hmm. But I think he still needs support guys throughout the lineup. And Brendan Gallagher is going to be a guy who's necessary there. Especially yeah, with like, like Jeff Petrie's likely to be gone. You need a couple of veterans to lean on. Yeah. Gallagher is like the ultimate support guy. Like just based on his personality and the stories we've heard. Like that's who he is. I'm, uh, I'm really surprised that uh, you think Suzuki is going to be captain. That's an interesting uh, thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think most Canadians fans ha- believe that now just because he's just there's so few guys in the league that are a coach's first choice, like at even strength shorthanded on the power play in the shootout in overtime. When you need a goal, when you're protecting a one goal lead, like he does literally everything. Mm-hmm. And he seems to have that like quiet understated game that a lot of GMs and coaches seem to love. I don't know if they'll do the vote thing. The Canadians like to pretend that they do the vote thing, but, just name a captain <laughs> behind the scenes. Like yeah. I remember with Pacioretty, they said that they did the vote, but it like the coaching staff and the management team picked it. But right. I, he probably would have won the vote anyway. But 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I think Nick Suzuki is the natural choice. He's just a bit young, right? And with a young captain, you need some insulation. Somebody said Gallagher's got to shave his head like Giordano. He'll bounce back. No question. Yeah, he's got to admit it. <laughs> just got to make the admission. I, I, watching Giordano tonight, you know who he reminded me of was Andre Markov. Another okay. guy who got old, but just was so intelligent about the game and the way he played the puck. He was yeah. just really excellent late into his career and always seemed to hang on past when you think he would have been able to because when he was younger, he was a great skater. And then mm-hmm. he had like five knee injuries over the course of two years. He missed a full season and I think a half, maybe even more. It was like a full season and then he played 13 games or something like that the next year. And people thought he was done, but he was just so smart. And Giordano, same thing. Markov came back, shaved his head. Giordano. Shaved his head. Maybe that's the secret. Aerodynamics. The comparison, it's really good because, like, tonight there was a moment where uh, Giordano was, like, trailing the play and, like, he doesn't have the wheels to get back and cover anything. But he knew the puck was going to go to the middle of the zone and he went to that area and he was right where the puck was when it was on a stick and he turned it back around and he went the other way. And, like, Markov's... It was. Do you remember that play? Yeah, mm-hmm. and like Markov's so smart that he was the exact same player who would make those exact same really smart plays. It's that intelligence thing. It's like when, like, when you're young and like you're playing basketball with the old guy at the gym or whatever, and like he's doing all the old guy moves. He he can't keep up with the he doesn't have the legs anymore, but he's so much smarter than all the kids playing. Like that's what I see with Giordano out there. Like he seems so much smarter than everybody on the ice and he knows where the puck is going to be. And he's always in the perfect position. And like, I can't be happier uh, with what he's brought to the Leafs. It's been yeah. Awesome. I think he's a great fit, honestly. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing that makes me kind of believe that the Leafs would move on. But then again, I thought they were going to win last year too. I thought they were going to make it out of the first round. Like I had a tweet. <laughs> so did everybody, Andrew. So did everybody. Everybody thought it. I think every single person oh from every single media org picked the Leafs. How could you not? They yeah, dominated every the bit of evidence. Division. Oh, yeah. It all it all pointed one way. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said letting Markov go was easily easily a top five mistake of the Bergevin regime. I think. Letting him go wasn't necessarily the big mistake so much as letting him go with no organizational replacement in-house. And that's the same thing that happened with Shea Weber, who they knew was injured the whole time, and they had nothing coming up the pipeline. Now, Caden Gooley is not Shea Weber, but brings a lot of that snarl and projects to be a a good player, but he's not going to be in the NHL for another year or two, so... Right. That's not a Shea Weber replacement. Like, no. At all. And they <laughs> still don't have a Markov replacement, right? Yeah. It, it's been years, so they just... It's not It's not going to go. Uh, somebody says, Eric Angles called it. Eric might say he called it, but I remember the column when they had all the Sportsnet picks, and he said Toronto in seven. So, no, he did not call it. Yeah, Eric no. did not call it. He's he's altering his pick in hindsight there. Oh, right. Eric. Eric was very high on the team. Like he gave them a lot of credit, but when it came down to picking them and Sportsnet posted all of the reporters picks angles had the leaves. So yeah, yep, he did. Everyone did. It's okay to be wrong. That was (laughs) a very unpredictable series. It just was, but uh, all right, well, let's wrap it up because I kept you forever here, Jesse, but uh, before we we go all night, yeah, that's true. Let's do it. No, I got to wake up tomorrow morning. <laughs> the kids wake up early. 
But oh. uh, before we go, obviously, people don't know Jesse Blake very well. So uh, tell everyone where they can find your work, Jesse. Oh, my gosh. Well, right where you are right now, uh, the SDPN YouTube channel. We are here all the time. We have many great things coming out. I stream on Twitch every Wednesday and Friday where I play NHL 22 and I try and win the Stanley Cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I've been unsuccessful in 12 straight seasons, but, you know, there's always next year. We'll see how that goes. And always make sure you listen to the Steve Dangle podcast. If you, I assume you've never heard of it. No, uh, never Monday, it. Wednesdays, and Thursdays, or Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with Steve Dangle, Adam Wilde, and Jesse Blake. And of course, I got to shout out Noxie and Cax, who had Mary Philippe Poulin oh. on this week. I think that might be the best episode of anything that SDPN has ever released. It's so, so good. good. So, oh. so good. They're they're doing amazing things with that show. I don't know if you saw, Jesse, but on the uh, Crab People uh, Discord, they were saying uh, that I had to ask you about how to build a winner in Montreal because you've got all this experience <laughs> building teams in Chell. And I yeah. said, uh, I have to ask somebody who's actually won. <laughs> well, you're, you're not wrong. Like, what am I supposed to do? I haven't won anything with my fake... NHL 22 team. So, yeah, I, I'm not the one to ask about winning. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I mirror the Leafs in real life. It's ridiculous. I mean, so do we all, really. We're all out here not being winners, but uh, yeah. the real winners are the people who tuned into this show. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We're going to be back tomorrow because the Canadians are playing back to back games with Tony Ferrari. And we're going to dig deep into the top five of this year's draft class, which the Canadians are going to walk away with one of them. And uh, talk about the Canadians' prospects as well, because they just acquired a bunch of players, right? Some guys that people know, some that they don't. And Justin Barron might play. Jordan Harris might play. There's a lot to talk about with a scout like Tony Ferrari. Thanks, Jesse, for doing this. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. See you in less than 24 hours.